Create Out Loud is brought to you by Anchor.fm. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast so you can, yes, create out loud. It's free. They give you tools so you can record easily on your phone or your computer. They'll distribute the podcast for you. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started. Because yeah, I want you to create out loud. Hey everyone, welcome back to Create Out Loud with me, Jen Loudon. On this show, we invite the world's most interesting, dynamic, and groundbreaking creators to get vulnerable about their creative journey and to share the lessons they've learned along the way so that you too can have a deep and fulfilling creative life. This week, I'm talking to the creators of The Inclusive Guide, Crystal Egley and Parker McMullen Bushman. So The Inclusive Guide, created by Parker and Crystal, is going to be like a Yelp but for inclusivity. Users can submit business locations they feel safe in, businesses that are owned or operated by people of marginalized identities, and businesses that welcome people of marginalized identities. And we'll be able to rate businesses on a whole range of things like courtesy of staff and ADA compliance. Wait till you hear how the two of these powerhouse women have conceived this business how they're struggling to get money. Hey, we have a GoFundMe link in the show notes and how they're working together and how they're taking care of themselves. I was so moved by this conversation. So without further ado, let's go. Hey, Parker and Crystal, before we get started, would you just introduce yourselves? So as we hear from both of you, the audience can distinguish between your voices. Hi, everyone. I'm Parker McMullen-Bushman, co-founder of Inclusive Guide. And I'm Crystal Egley, the other co-founder of the Inclusive Guide. So Parker and Crystal, thank you so much for being here. When my friend Andrea told me about um, the Inclusive Guide, um, the digital green book, like my eyes bugged out of my head. I'm like, why haven't we, why hasn't someone done this before? This is so needed. And your mission is so incredible because it's not just for people to find safe, inclusive places to do business, but also to change where the money goes. So I wanted to ask, when did you first have the idea? Was the original Green Book the 30s? I forgot, 1929? Yeah, so the original Green Book was published from 1936 to 66, so about a 30-year span. And the original Green Book was a listing of safe and welcoming spaces for Black motorists. So as Black motorists, or as Black Americans started working in factories and they got out of, you know, slavery and sharecropping and things like that, that didn't help anybody accumulate any amount of disposable income. They started being able to afford cars. They started being allowed to travel, uh, even though it was now legal to travel while black, which used to be illegal Mm -hmm. at one point. Now it was technically legal, but not everybody was, was welcoming of that. Right. So as black folks started being able to afford cars, having jobs where they were able to um, have vacation time, have weekends, you know, um, they started traveling, but rest of the country wasn't, wasn't used to that. So it was pretty dangerous. And there were, there were um, literal signs, but there's also unspoken rules about black travelers that could really run into, to harm um, if they, they violated either set of those rules. So there was the Negro Motorist Green Book by Victor H. Green, which was a, basically a phone book, an address book of safe and welcoming places for Black motorists to stop. It also had some uh, tips and things like that, like bring a driver's cap for men. Um, 
so they could just say that they were driving the person they worked for's vehicle, right? Um, people wouldn't necessarily believe that they owned the vehicle, things like that. So there's lots of tips in there as well for for safety, how to how to get through these situations. When I took up hunting a few years ago, I started going out into rural areas, rural parts of the country, and it wasn't that I was sure everywhere was racist and I'd have a bad time. It was the unknown. A lot of folks don't realize that even though the written rules don't aren't, aren't allowed anymore, you can't have signs that say colors only, whites only. A lot of the unwritten rules are still around, right? There's a lot of unwritten rules. Not only that, there's a lot of places that just aren't used to seeing different folks, um, whatever their identities may be, but especially Black folks with firearms. I was out there and it was just that like, I just didn't know. I didn't know. And this anxiety was just building up. And so far I've only had positive experiences, but how much more positive could that experience be if I didn't have that anxiety going in? If I could like just look up somewhere like, hey, here's some cool places to stop. Hey, avoid these places. This town is actually super welcoming and awesome you know, in advance and and really be aware of that before I went in and didn't have to go around on my on my hunt, hunts or any travel mm-hmm. um, with that anxiety because things have happened and do happen regularly to me. So it's not just like a random fear. Like I've been threatened at knife point. I've been refused service altogether. I have been in gas stations where they serve all the white people first, even though I'm standing right in line and they wait until everyone clears out. So it's not just a random, concern I have because of things I see in the media, these things happen to me regularly. These are based on your horrible experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And they happen to people of color quite regularly. There's a lot of folks that I talk to about this work um, or about racism or oppression. And they say, yeah, but we're used to it. Like we just know how to handle that. And I'm like, should we have to, should we have to get used to this? Like I don't, I don't want to get used to this. You know, it reminds me, because I know you both have worked extensively in, in the outdoors and environmental and environmental education. It reminds me of, of the attitude around climate change. You know, we yeah. should just, we'll just, this is just the way it is. This is how it's going to be. We'll just give up. Sort of. Um. <laughs> let's, let's not accept this. Yeah, sometimes that can can be the case where it just seems like too big of a problem mm-hmm. um, to address. Exactly. Um, the I'm only one person, what can I do? A lot of folks, I'm a millennial and I'm proud of it. People call us snowflakes and I always say snowflakes make blizzards. So you get enough of us together and we absolutely can do something. It, the important part is to, to not give up um, mm-hmm. and to keep going. Uh, There's a lot of folks that when it comes to racism or oppression or oppression based on an identity, very personal to talk about these things in a way that other kind of categories for for global change, the environment really affects us all, right? We can go Mm -hmm. out and be like, wow, uh, there's smog out and all that stuff. I can go to a city council meeting and talk about pollution or recycling. But when I go out and talk about racial justice, I'm pulling out trauma left and right. When I talk, like, you know, for example, earlier in this discussion, when I said I got threatened by knife point, like my heart started going like that, right? Mm -hmm. In a way that doesn't really happen when I talk about like recycling. So, Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, so it really is a very deeply personal, intimate um, thing to put 
out in the forefront of, of your work and your identity because it is seeped in pain mm -hmm. and not just ours, but generational, generationally, right? Um, so it's so deep and it cuts so much sometimes. To keep going through that takes a lot. It takes a lot. And that is something that honestly, when people aren't like, they're like, I'm just trying to live my life. I'm like, okay, this is, this isn't, mm -hmm. it's really difficult to, to process. And I'm so grateful to have Parker as somebody who I can do this work with and process at the same time. That is a very unique situation where we can literally um, have something that's like very emotionally heavy, pretty traumatizing to try to work through. And then afterwards, you know, do download with Parker and we can talk about it. That's a really important part of this work. For taking care of the both of you while you create this digital green book. Parker. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you have something to add to all of that amazing beginning there that Crystal had. Yeah. So, you know, Crystal had those experiences and wanted to figure out a, a solution. And so thought about bringing forth the, like reviving the green book in a way in a, a digital form as an online platform. And her original thought was that, you know, we might just have like listings of the safe spaces because that's what the green book was that people could then see that. Mm -hmm. um, as she was trying to get that together, she reached out to me first to say, you know, I've got this idea and I just want to bounce this off of someone and kind of hear what your thoughts might. I remember when she, she called me, I was riding home from work. It was late in the year. So, you know, the, it was dark outside and I was sitting in my driveway listening to her speak about this idea and it resonated so much with me. I was like, this is so needed and this is, it's just genius and then a few weeks later, she reached back out to me and she was like, so I'm going to do this for real. And do you want to help me? But our, what I call our, our inaugural uh, meeting at, at Doug's Diner and started to talk about, about this and what it could be. And together, like me and Crystal are two very different people um, and our brains work differently, but together it's kind of uh, perfection. And Crystal, you know, had these ideas for, um, I think the connection to, to people and the need. And I brought these ideas that were like connection to, to business, data gathering, and uh, how we also, because this is, we are a tech company started mm -hmm. by two Black women. And how are we going to make money uh, to support this work doing this? Um, so we had lots of conversations and the idea just grew from there that instead of just being a listing of safe spaces, we wanted to provide interaction and people can go on. It is um, like, you know, a customer review website, um, but instead of listing if the soup is too cold <laughs> and my service was slow, people are listening are listing how they feel in a space in relation to their identity. Mm -hmm. So did I feel safe? Did I feel welcome? Did I feel celebrated? I love that a, criteria. Yeah. That is brilliant. 
Yeah, but in these spaces, and it means different things like safety is uh, physical safety, but also mental mm -hmm. safety, like emotional safety, right? Welcome might be along that uh, customer service review, but we know that it takes different things to make different people feel welcome mm -hmm. within a space, right? And then uh, did I feel celebrated is do I feel that my identity is represented in this space? And I often give the example of going into stores and uh, to buy black hair care products. And there's like this whole big aisle that's out in the open with hair care products that work well for um, straighter hair, right? And then the uh, kinkier, curlier, mm -hmm. 4CB hair uh, products are often uh, behind a, a pillar in the corner or sometimes even locked up. And when, or when like I look at pictures around the store, do I see pictures of people who look like me, right? Mm -hmm. Represented in your advertising, in your mm -hmm. store models, on your end caps. And so do I feel celebrated and seen mm -hmm. within a space like my identity was thought of? You know, we're looking, we're gathering data from users to look at different identity criteria because we feel like it's not just about race or it's about race and, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the intersections of different identities. The original Green Book was for, for Black folks, but if you look at the intersection of disability and uh, Blackness mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, sexual orientation mm -hmm. and Blackness, often the people who are most highly affected by systems of oppression are people who live at that intersection. intersection. Yeah, so while people with disabilities might be the, have the highest rate of unemployment, Black and brown people with disabilities have a higher rate of unemployment than white folks with disabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, having those conversations about how do we use identity to really see what people's experiences are, and then how do we give businesses feedback? We want to celebrate the businesses that are doing this really well, mm -hmm. and we want to provide feedback to businesses that maybe are not doing as well as they would like to, and oftentimes businesses have no way because no one you're right no one is gathering this like just those great examples that you just gave where are those hair care products where am i represented yeah i mean i can think smaller businesses large corporations have no excuse but yeah so like businesses getting that feedback to say oh I'm looking at my inclusivity score mm -hmm. and it looks like Asian men love my business. Mm -hmm. But when I when we look at our reviews from uh, white women who are wheelchair users, the, the score is not as high. And now I can see that. And here's some great information from mm -hmm. Inclusive Guide on how you can improve that. That's how can brilliant. we work? to make things inclusive. And so we're really trying to support this conversation. We're trying to give resources. We're trying to give resources on the user side to find those safe spaces and resources on the business side so that we can be better. And I can feel how your two brains came together. And I, that's one of the things that fascinates me as partnerships, is how partnerships work and, and talking about being there for each other around the trauma of this creative process, but also how your two brains are working to make this so extraordinary. And I want to add to that because there, 
Um, I love that Crystal brought that up and talked about not only the trauma of talking about this and working through identity, uh, but that also leads into where we are as Black women founders of company, where only 1% of uh, tech companies are founded by Black folks. They're not funded. When we first got going, we we're like, we need to talk to venture capitalists, angel investors. And we had lots of friends who had gone through this, done this work, who had had successful companies. We're going to do our research and talk to them about how they made it happen. So many of them were like, this is an amazing idea. Like we got funded off of much less. You've got it pulled together. You know, I want to introduce you to people. And we got into meeting after meeting after meeting where we were not treated the same way as some of the white male uh, mm -hmm. tech company founders that we had spoken to, they were, I think that was a revelation because we get into the meetings, we're kind of exposing ourselves and having trauma during the meetings where people are questioning, why would that even be needed? And what, you know, is this, what, what is this about? And then going back to those friends who are like, I, you know, I had an idea that I wrote on the back of a napkin and got $4 million. You know, I just can't, believe that as flushed out as you do. So having to deal with identity, even as we are creating this, and you look at the demographic uh, reports that are coming out, several companies that have done research around funding have shown that Black companies in general and Black tech companies are only funded at a very small percentage of the rate that white companies are funded at. And so we, you know, are working through that as well. And it's an extra um, hurdle that we have to get over to kind of get our work going. I wonder if there's a publicity opportunity here, though. The, the little marketing part of my brain is going, who can we shame into giving you a lot of money? We really want to focus on when we go into our work. Uh, it's very tempting. Mm. <laughs> very tempting to do that. But well, you wouldn't be, that wouldn't be good. And you wouldn't be happy. Yeah, it wouldn't be the support you is, want. Mm -hmm, for businesses, we say celebrating the places that celebrate you because it really is so easy uh to slide into that mindset and to to be like these people aren't doing this these people aren't doing that but what we really want to spend our time and energy on because I used to do that like honestly in my life I used to do that just call people out right but now I find it much more effective to say yo here's somebody who's doing it right here's the steps that they took here's a recipe for you to follow now, what are you going to do now that you have the solutions? Um, check out, you know, Crystal's investment bank, like whatever, right? She's doing it right. Here are the steps. Here it is on a silver platter. Now what? Now balls in your court, right? And so that honestly, it, again, in my life, I'm not perfect. Not, never was, never going to be. I always tell people I'm getting close, uh, but that's a joke, right? Like nobody is perfect. There's no, no such thing. But what we can do is share how 
other people that that are doing it the right ways or doing it in efficient ways or effective ways. What did they do so you could get to that next step? Um, and so for me, I had to really humble myself because it feels so good to take out a magical sword and vanquish the dragon, right? Yeah. For um, investors, we'd really love to see an example of folks that are doing it um, really well, folks who are literally putting their money where their their mouth is, because that's what our model is for for businesses that we are we are serving. Is hey, we're not perfect, <laughs> we're not perfect either. Uh, but look at these ones that are doing it really well. Here's things you can do. And so taking that and putting it into the investor world is is a vision I see for the future. And then once we do make it to the point where maybe Parker and I are investors, you know, maybe we'll be that change, right? And roll over our success and help be that different. Um, and that that's one of my personal goals is to to pay it forward. Gosh, I really needed to hear what Crystal just said about she used to be someone who like, you know, going at the dragons with her sword. And now it's not about calling people out. And as this conversation goes on, you'll just see how their intention to really be inclusive on every level of how they're designing this company is informing it. And tend not to be a woo-woo person at all, but that level of care and intention and doing that deep inner work so you, you can actualize that in your creative endeavors, it's so important and I'm paying more and more attention to that. So big lesson for me in that moment. Yeah, that's, I wish I was an angel investor. <laughs> And that's, you know, really what, uh, when we say we want to shift the economy toward inclusion, like we're going to be honest, individual donors is how we've gotten really to where we are right now. We haven't had any, you know, like investment funds or uh, large venture capitalists uh, give us money, but we've had people give money on GoFundMe. We've had um, one individual who gave us a large sum of money and said, we're not, we don't want anything back. We're not investing as a VC, but we want this to, to happen. So we're going to give you some money. And it's been individuals and we're actually planning right now, a big fundraising event for December to try and figure out our our funding for the next year and have someone who's going to give us uh, matching, but it's the individuals who really care about this. I think that is going to shift the conversation toward inclusion. Like when we have people of color talking about their experiences, people with disabilities, people who are in the LGBTQIA community talking about all of all of these experiences. And then we have allies that are like, I want to make sure that when I go into a, a place, right, that they are going to treat Jen the same that they're going to treat Parker. And mm-hmm. so I am looking to spend my money in places that are inclusive to everyone, not just me going and shopping in those places. We want to celebrate those businesses that are doing it right and put up there for the public to see this is where you should spend your money. And then we want other organizations to see, oh, there is an economic incentive Mm -hmm. to being inclusive because now people have a mechanism for identifying the spaces and spending their money there. Are you a writer, but you're a little bit chagrined at how sometimes you don't write a lot or you get lost in the middle of a project or it's really hard to finish things? You're great at starting new things. You're great at writing prompts and morning pages. Are you a writer who wants to take their writing to the next level, but you're really not sure how to do that? 
or you're a writer who finds that everything else in your life has a tendency to come first? Do you feel like there must be a way to be more consistent, to be more joyful, and to kind of be more matter-of-fact about your writing while at the same time opening to mystery and learning and really the joy of discovery? I've been studying writing and being a writer myself for 40 years, and I've been teaching writing for 20 And I finally put together my most unique and powerful tools in a beautiful three-month course called Right Now. You can find out more at jenniferloudon.com forward slash right dash now. So I want to ask you a little bit about the creative process. Two questions. The first one is, how are you taking care of yourselves? I know, like you have families and you have... (laughs) Did you see the laughter? For folks that was audio only, Parker and I were both on mute as we laughed our butts off. Um, I have a therapist I see regularly and medication. For real, it is very, very taxing. It is exhausting. It is stressful. It is all consuming. And then one of the things I found is it's incredibly hard to get away from. So every time I go to a socially distanced, fully vaccinated dinner party, I feel like you always have to give those like, yeah, exactly. right? during COVID, you always have to say like, we were three feet away from each other. We didn't oh my God, I do the same thing. <laughs> they were like spit guards. Anyway, so anytime I share what I do, you know, everybody always says, what do you do? What, what, who do you work for? You know, that's a very important question in our culture for some reason. I start telling them about the website and one of two things happens, either people start asking why it's a need. And then I go into trying to convince them that racism and oppression is real, which is very exhausting, or they're just genuinely super interested in it and want to know more, which in theory, is a really, really amazing thing. But again, even it's positive, still tapping into trauma, because I'm trying to Mm -hmm. solve a problem that I have on a daily basis, because of something I can't change about myself. And so then you have all different types of reactions to it. There's white fragility reaction. There's like, you know, inappropriate reactions. There's people who don't want to educate themselves and just Google it or (laughs) go to our website and learn everything that I would say anyway. Um, They want to know my why. They want to know all this stuff. And so even when it's really well-intentioned and I'm like super stoked to talk about it, sometimes I'm just, I just want to be at a dinner party, right? (laughs) I want to ask you questions. I want to get to know other people. This like catch 22 of being so excited about my work, so proud of it that I want to share it with everyone. But then when it comes to decompress time, Mm -hmm. if it's with other folks, I can't really get away from it because everyone is genuinely super interested and I can't complain about too much because that's so wonderful. But it's just something that you don't really get away from unless you literally go out of cell phone service. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's one of the um, wonderful and challenging things about being in this work is talking about it with others constantly, mm-hmm. absolutely constantly. I have a couple of different ways that I, I try and cope with things. One is, you know, I, I love getting outdoors when I have the opportunity to. So going for walks, um, I I had a great schedule, which now my assistant is working on helping me get back into where I took a daily walk and that helped me just get away from the computer. 
Um, also my networks, I have, I just have some amazing people that I've been able to surround myself with, including Crystal. I think me and Crystal lean on each other a lot just to kind of talk through things and, and vent something that I think could be like a real benefit starting a business with like someone who's also your best friend, but can be, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's a, a true benefit. Sometimes it's a, a little like inferior. I think it depends on, on the day with us, but it helped. We support one another and we have a network of friends that we talk with and that help uh, support us. And then I think another way that helps me cope, which I don't know if this is actually healthy or not, but I, I am one, a planner. I find myself when I have something to plan for in the future, delayed things that is happening and I can take breaks to think about the detail for that thing and how amazing that thing might be, whatever it it is, like that helps me when I have a lot of stress in the moment. I plan getaways with my husband and we've actually got one coming up this month, but that like helps me. One of the hilarious things that points out the difference between me and Parker is that terrifies me and brings so much stress into my life. I had a friend invite me to go impromptu camping over the weekend. And so I was like, sure. And then I was like, I had to take a Zoom call. So I'm on a Zoom with Parker while I'm halfway to this camp area. Parker's like, where are you going? And I was like, oh, I don't actually know. I don't actually know where I'm going. Like, where are we going? No idea. I just like got into a truck, like put a sleeping bag and clothes in there and went and I'm like halfway there and like that terrifies Parker right so it's one of those things where to me not making decisions have to pull so much much out to do it for the company so that was my other question I wanted to ask which is how do you divvy up the work the first thing I highly recommend to anybody is hiring an assistant before we hired an assistant so we share an assistant their name is Kit they're amazing and Kit changed our live. Before we hired Kit, we both felt like we were absolutely drowning. We both had to do our own. I think between us, we have 11 email inboxes. Now it's up to like 12 or 13. Yeah. Now we have somebody else who does that, who like highlights what we need to respond to and can help schedule things. We had a, we had so much time where we were literally just scheduling meetings, Oh God, but like realized we weren't actually doing anything because we were just scheduling meetings and both of us were doing that. So I highly recommend to anybody, even if you can only afford somebody for an hour or two hours a day to sort through your emails or whatever, use our business, get somebody to go through and do all of that stuff. Just want to ditto, ditto, ditto what Crystal said about hiring an assistant or hiring whatever is the essential help that you have to have. And here's how to know that you're not getting over your he- in over your head or you're not hiring a bunch of consultants or things that people are just going to sell you a lot of stuff you don't need yet. Are you not getting to the work that's going to make you the money? Are you not getting to the work that's going to further your creative business idea or project? But I've made some big mistakes in my life thinking, well, I have to have a certain level of success before I can hire that help instead of saying, well, where could I hire someone in a smaller capacity to deal with some of the roadblocks or the bottlenecks? And then right now, Parker and I are actually in the middle of figuring out who's focusing on what. Parker is 
way better at a lot of things than I am. And I am, I won't say way better, Parker. I'll just say that that way. I, I'm a, I have strengths that Parker, <laughs> I'm not better at you than other stuff. <laughs> Parker and I can both do, you know, each other's strengths, but there's a clear like efficiency when we mm. tap into what, what comes naturally. Parker is a creative person who can think of big ideas and all that stuff. She's way better at being like, let's make a spreadsheet. Parker's way better at that future stuff. And I'm like, oh, we need something tomorrow. Got it. Like 10 times, like out of the box, you know, things like that. So it's just, we're still though trying to figure out um, and be, be malleable with who is focusing on what. But at this point too, we also need to both know everything, right? So we both need to be in our accounting meetings. We both need to be in our web development meetings. We both need to be in marketing meetings. So we don't have, um, the luxury of truly being able to mm-hmm. to make like strong delineations because we're so new and we're growing something together and we truly want it to be like, mm-hmm. like we both did this like 50-50, right? But we're in the process of finding out like, okay, well, it's much more efficient and enjoyable for Parker to do this, much more efficient and enjoyable for Crystal to do this. Later, we'll we'll like kind of separate those out, but we really sure. do need to both um, be, there. be part of everything right now because we're so new. Parker, now I know you're going to say something <laughs> really nice to Crystal. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard because we're in the same room and I'm trying not to cause talk, talk over. <laughs> um, but Crystal does so many things really, really well. And Crystal not only has that vision, but has such heart for people, for, for the work. I think Crystal brings that very strongly. Um, She wants everyone to truly feel included, invested, a part of of this and sees things that I I don't see when those needs, when those things need to happen. And I am definitely much more, I have a heart, but I'm I'm, I'm very, I can be very analytical, right? And so there's like, let's do this because it's the good and right thing to do. And we balance that with, okay, and then like, what's the money and the return? Again, that's why we're like puzzle pieces that kind of bring it bring it together. So I have this question I love to ask people, the last question. And I, I feel like this is gonna be a big question for you both. What do you wanna learn next? Oh my goodness. I have my immediate answer. First of all, Spanish. But one of the big things that we are responsible for, something that's really fascinating to me as well, we're going to be collecting a ton of personal information and data on people who experience oppression and don't have trust in systems, especially systems designed by literally their oppressors to manage their data and keep it safe and be responsible and be ethical with what they do with it. And we want to utilize data in a broad scope to influence policy decisions at the highest levels. I hope to uh, sit next to or sit across from Zuckerberg and kick him off across under the table during a congressional hearing or something, because I want, I just want to lead by example. Like you can make money and do the ethical right things and protect people's privacy. And you don't have to sell their literal identities to the highest bidder in order to just keep accumulating wealth for wealth's sake. I am really fascinated by studying data ethics and all of that that goes into that is a lot. The implications, how can you project or guess the implications for for 20 years from now when we don't even understand what the technology could be? 
that we don't know right we don't know what AI will be and right we have no concept of what computers will be like 20 years from now at least I don't so what are the ethical implications of making a decision now or how we store data now or how we protect it or who gets access to it and how can you be profitable in that too and I hope to set a bar with that in this age I think with the company the tech companies that exist out there already it's hard to roll it back especially when people are already profiting so heavily off of the current models. No one wants to be like, you know what, for a good cause, let's stop making a billion dollars. That's not a thing. But we're growing this ourselves and we're building it ourselves, starting with ones and zeros. We have the opportunity to do it ethically. I don't want to say right, because we're probably going to be wrong at some point, but like to do it as with as good intention and as ethically and morally as we can. And that's something I'm really excited to be learning about. Absolutely. And I think Crystal took a a lot of the words out of out of my mouth because I was thinking about it's an ongoing learning process of how to create and and grow a company that is focused on inclusivity without like selling out. Just a conversation I was having with my husband this morning while we were talking about you know news channels and how news is set up to. feed us the most dismal things like there, we've, you know, we watch pretty progressive news channels and uh, we were commenting on how surprised we were that there's so many highlights of Trump on the channel still and how there was this news channels, very progressive news channels made a lot of their money off of providing an even larger platform to a candidate that they said they did not uh, like. And they did it because it was financially beneficial, even though it was not beneficial for maybe people to, to hear that, to be exposed to it, to promote that message. And so you end up getting into a feedback loop of doing what it gives you the most money, even when it's not the most beneficial to the public that you're trying to serve. So I've been thinking about that this morning and ongoing and how as a company, do we not fall into those pitfalls of being focused? Because it would, it would be super beneficial, probably uh, where we're going to hit is where there is that inflammation um, or and maybe not the right word, but around people who are doing it the wrong way, giving focus on which it'll be on there because we need to know what are not the safe spaces, mm-hmm. but to risk promoting those spaces because that is where we get the most views, the most engagement rather than promoting and putting forth the people who are doing the work the the best way because we want that is what's beneficial to people so how do we do the things that are beneficial to people ongoing and how do we build a company around that and how do we more than ever like stick with this like I I learned a statistic last week about the amount of companies that are that we have that are successful today that were started by Black women who were bought out and then they placed a white male as the figurehead and then it took took off. And so how do we stay true to ourselves, true to our company, not sell out, begin, let it become something else? I want to learn how to do that because I don't have all the answers right now, but I know it's the vision and the future that I want to see. 
You both are so inspiring. I am really almost in tears from this conversation. So thank you both, not only for the vision of your company and how you're working together, but for everything you just said in that last answer. It's so clear to me that your inner work as humans has allowed you to form this vision of your company. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and we'll be sure to share the GoFundMe link. Thank you so much for inviting us on. It's been a real pleasure. Like we really just appreciate you and your platform and extending your platform to us as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a wonderful pleasure and a great conversation. Yeah, such a hit of integrity and vision thinking bigger and not letting the status quo or our own greed drag us down. That was the big takeaway for me. What was the takeaway for you? I truly hope you'll go find their GoFundMe link. You may find it in the show notes wherever you get your podcast. And you can go to jenniferloudon.com, click on podcast, and you will find deeply informative show notes and all the links you need. It's also a great place to stream the show if you like. Next week's episode is a solo episode and it is called You Do You. It's all about finding your style, your content, what's really true to you and not trying to be somebody you're not and how that can really take you away from your creative juice and your creative truth. I hope you'll tune in. I hope you're subscribed. And I hope in the meantime, you will create out loud.